0: Today's message is entitled, The Greatest News Ever. I've shared with you on many occasions that my life's calling is to help people find forgiveness and freedom through faith in Jesus Christ. And what I mean by freedom is that they might be healed of their woundedness and brokenness and broken uh, and, and coping mechanisms that are both unhealthy and um, unhelpful that they would be broken from those soul ties and that they would be broken from the and freed from the grip of Satan that he has on their mind and their heart. And so nothing defines um, that sense of calling more than the book of Romans because the book of Romans is all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the gospel is the explanation of how God has worked for us in salvation, how God works in us, through sanctification, how God makes these massive changes within our hearts and our lives, changing our our character and changing our behavior, and how God ultimately works through us as the body of Christ as we fulfill the mission of God that God has set before us. And so as we begin this book, I want to take just a a brief snippet of really the background behind it. Um, This book was written by the Apostle Paul, obviously, And many people would reference this, the gospel of of Paul, rather than the book of Romans. Now we have the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so they they described about the life of Christ, the teachings of Jesus, his his birth, his death, his burial, his resurrection, the essence of the gospel. But what Paul does in the book of Romans is that he now takes the um, theological ramifications of the gospel... That Jesus died on a cross and what that means for us and the difference it can make in our lives and, and how it can set us free and how it can liberate us and how it can experience uh help us experience, just like in the the video that Peter experienced, that rather than spending my life walking around with my regrets and my woundedness and I should have, would have, could have, but I I wish I hadn't, and and beating ourselves up, the gospel sets us free from all of that because God has forgiven us of our sins, past, present, and future. And so Paul takes this this gospel message and he begins to, to tease it out theologically so that we can see the huge ramification it has in our lives in the here and now. And so Paul, who wrote 13 out of 27 of the New Testament books, The Romans is not the first book that he wrote, but is the first book of importances, which is why it's right up front in Paul's writings. And this book is arguably the most important book in the entire New Testament. It is a book that has literally changed the lives of millions and millions of people, maybe even billions. It is a book that has actually changed the course of church history as well as human history. For example, there was a man named Martin Luther. And Martin Luther was a lawyer, and he had this encounter with God and became a priest and a monk. And he struggled with, with God in that, you know, he, he, he had this encounter with God, and he was constantly living his life trying to justify himself before God, trying to make himself righteous or in a right relationship with God. So he worked really hard at it. He, he took the law and he says, I'm going to follow the law to the T. And and then he got frustrated. and He got angry with God because he, he drove himself mad trying to make himself righteous before the Lord. And he got so angry, he said, God, this is not fair. You've given these the, us these laws. We cannot possibly keep. You knew we couldn't keep them from the beginning. Why did you give it to this to keep anyways? And so he was so frustrated until he read... The book of Romans. And he came across verse 17 that says, For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written. And Luther learned that righteousness is a gift of God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It is not something that you earn. It's not something that is achieved through human religion or moral performance. It is what he termed justified by faith, which was the catalyst of the Protestant Reformation that changed church history as we know it. There were men like John Wesley, who is the founder of the Methodist Church and the Wesleyans, and he was saved by reading the Book of Romans. It is a very powerful book, and so Paul launches into an introduction as he always does, and he says, "Listen uh, to those of you in Rome. I- I'm wanting to come and see you, and here's why I, wa- I am wanting to come." And and uh, uh, he jumps right into the gospel. It's a very short introduction, a very important introduction, but then he just jumps into the gospel. And so the gospel literally means good news. But Paul, I think, takes it even beyond that. I think he wants us to see that it's not only good news, it is great news. It is the best news. It is the greatest news you have ever heard. In a world that is filled primarily with bad news, this is Good news. And what is unfortunate in our day and time is that many people, including people outside and inside of the church, is that we've never come to a full realization of this gospel message that Paul gives to us in this book. And therefore, when you ask people about Christianity, which is really an expression of the gospel, and say, well, what is Christianity? People will give you Things like, well, you know, it's, it's about becoming a good moral person. It's about following the teachings of Jesus. It's about, uh, you know, trying to get your life together. It's about being a more fully rounded person, living with good morals and good ethics. And what is for a lot of people is not so much good news, that's merely good advice. All right. Good advice is, hey, how about you live a little more morally than you are and get your act together, your life together? Good news goes beyond that. The reason why it's good news and the greatest news ever in the gospel is because the gospel has the power of God to change a life, to eternally change a life, to spiritually change a life, and to change a person to the depth of their soul. There is no other power source around or available that can do that for anyone Except the gospel. And so Romans 1:16 and 17 is really the essence of the gospel for the Apostle Paul. He spends the entire rest of the book just unpacking those two verses. So I want us to think about in terms today, God has given us this unique privilege of sharing with the world the greatest news ever. The greatest news ever. Therefore, Paul says about himself and us that God has called us to be a unique person. A unique person. Look, he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God. By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through him and for his namesake, we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong To Jesus Christ, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, We are called to be unique, not weird, unique. All right, as we are called by God to take this gospel message to the world around us, not in a weird way, but in a very unique way. And so he uses three descriptive terms in order to express our uniqueness in the eyes of God. He uses the term of servant, of apostle, and set apart. Now, the word set apart is where we get the word holy, you know. God is holy. You are holy. God has made you holy in Christ. You have been set apart for a divine reason, for a divine person. And so in these descriptive terms, we see that we are called to a special position, Paul says, I am a servant, and so this word servant means I've changed masters. I used to be a servant under the the leadership of Satan, but now I'm a servant under the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you remember the apostle Paul was a Pharisee. He was, uh, I mean, this guy was like head and shoulders above others, he was extremely religious, extremely versed in philosophy and poetry, and, and he was taught by the, one of the wisest teachers in his day and time, by Gamaliel, and he, he devoted his life, when God established the church, Paul devoted his life to stamping out the church And so Paul led those. He would would go and he would arrest people and throw them in prison and have them martyred like Stephen who was stoned to death. And Paul says, you know what? I was once a willing servant to the kingdom of darkness, but then all of a sudden I met Jesus on the road to Damascus and he changed me from the inside out, the power of the gospel. He took me out of the kingdom of darkness. He put me into the kingdom of God. He made me a new creation in Christ. I am a unique person, and I am willfully spending the rest of my life submitting and surrendering myself to the will of the Father. He calls himself an apostle. That means a one who is sent by an authority with a commission. And Jesus Jesus sent Paul. He commissioned him, he said, to take the gospel, not just to the Jews, but also to, to the Gentiles. And so this word apostle, though we are not apostles as Paul was an apostle. You had to be a a witness of the resurrection of Christ, but we are sent ones. We have been commissioned under the authority of Christ. Uh, When you go to the great commission, Jesus says, all authority under heaven and earth has been given to me, and I'm giving that to you to go and make what? Disciples. And how do we make disciples? We make disciples through the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, listen, this gospel's message is not something I contrived. It's not something I made up. This is something that was handed to me by God, and I I was commissioned by God. I was given this unique opportunity, this special position to take the gospel message to my known world. And God has given us that position and he has given us and called us to his very specific purpose. He says, "I have been set apart." You and I have been set apart for a specific purpose to take the good and the greatest news ever told. And so to Paul, the gospel is so great that he was willing to separate himself from anything and everything. He was willing to set aside his fame. You know, if you were a Pharisee in that day and time, you are a rock star. You had wealth, you had political clout. He says, I'm walking away from all of that. I don't care about the wealth. I don't care about the fame. I don't care about the fortune. I don't care about being a rock star. He says, I am willing, submitting myself, surrendering myself to the will of the Father, no matter what it cost me. I will be faithful to this calling. And so Paul is, is saying that, man, this, this, this gospel, this was not an afterthought of God. It's not like God created humanity and we rebelled against him and God's like, oops. Uh, We need to do something about this because mankind is not doing what they should be doing. They're heading in the bad direction. Uh, What are we going to do? Oh, I know. Uh, I'll I'll think something up. No, Paul says... And he reminds us, especially in the book of Ephesians, that it was before God ever created anything, before he spoke anything into existence, before the foundation of the world, God already knew that his humanity that would rebel against him and reject him and walk away from him, and even before he created Anything that is in existence, he says, I already had a plan in place called the gospel of Jesus Christ that would enable humanity to come back in relationship with me from their rebellious spirit so that we could have a relationship, a father Daughter, a father son relationship. Listen, God knows everything from beginning to end simultaneously because He is eternal. God is not like us. He's not locked into history. He's not locked into days. He's not locked into time. He sees everything from beginning to end all at once. He is always and only present and He is omniscient. Therefore, He knows everything. So, God knew before He created anything that He would plan and He would will and He would create and He would purpose the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ to be the antidote to man and humanity's problem I say that to say this to you it does not matter what the circumstances or the surrounding of your conception may have been you are not here by accident there may be illegitimate parents but there are no illegitimate children The Bible says before in Ephesians chapter 1, written by Paul, he says before the foundation of the world, God knew he was sending you into this world. He already had you in mind. You were already on his heart. You were already on his, in his thought process that he is the one who knit your body together in your mother's womb and he has created you for, as a unique individual to become a new creation in Christ and setting you in a new position with a new message that you and I can take to the world around us. God has been watching over you every since he conceived you in his mind and he cares about you so much that he has directed his time his purpose his vision his love towards you by adopting us into his family through christ it wasn't a headache for god it wasn't a heartache for god it it, it did not extend his you know expend all of his energy no god did this out of his love for us because he desires to be in relationship with us that's that's the essence of the gospel and so we, 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 we come to know his splendor and his righteousness and his purity and his grace and his mercy. And not only does God care about us in this lifetime, the Bible says that God so cares about us in the next lifetime that Jesus has already gone to prepare a place for us so that where he is, there we might be also. This is the uniqueness of God creating you and bringing you into this world knowing that you and I would come into this world with hearts of rebellion and hearts of rejection and, and we would wanna do things our way and, and do our own thing and, and maybe even reject the gospel that God says, no, 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 I, I love you so much. I am, I'm calling you out of darkness into light. I, I'm making you a new creation in Christ. You are unique, you are loved, you are valued, you are special and I'm giving you this special position and this special purpose so that, so that the gospel can be taken to others. And so that God has given us made us a unique person. He's given us a unique message, and the message is the gospel. The gospel is about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Yes, the gospel affects us, but it is, the essence of the gospel is about Christ. And you'll notice it says that Paul starts off by talking about Christ, the Christ of the gospel, and he says, let me show you the human side of Jesus. Let me show you the divine side of Jesus. And he says he is a, he, he is going to be a descent of David. Who's David? He's the greatest Old Testament king. And so, uh, the Messiah that's coming into the world would be a descendant of David. When you go to Matthew chapter one and the genealogy that Matthew lays out, he goes through uh, Jesus as a descendant of David showing the human side of Christ that Jesus took upon himself a human body and he's a son of God and he divested himself of his independent use and divine prerogatives, humbling himself, becoming fully subservient to the will and the plan of God. And so when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's struggling about on the human side about you know having the wrath of God poured out upon him for man's sins. He's human, but he is also fully divine. At no time was Jesus not God. He was 100% man, 100% God. And so he says that he is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Look at that name. Jesus is his personal name. Jehovah is salvation. Christ is his official name, the anointed one. He is Lord. He is sovereign over all, over everything. And so when Jesus came to earth, a part of his teaching was that he claimed to be God. And he he was one in essence with the Father. And so through his death, his burial, his resurrection, his resurrection authenticated who he claimed to be and what he came to do. He came to die. He came to offer himself as a sacrifice so that through him we might be made acceptable in the eyes of God. It's the power of the gospel, the power to bring life in my spirit where it was dead, and the power to bring hope and healing and wholeness in my soul that was ravaged by sin, and it's the power to take this body that will one day be put in a grave and resurrect it and make it new so that it is now no longer susceptible to disease and death and reunite with my spirit and soul and move me into the presence of God where you and I will spend eternity with him. And the reason we are able to do that is not because we kept some religious rules and we did the do's and don'ts. It's because we have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ alone. This is the message, is the gospel. It's all about Jesus. And so when we share this message, it's about, we call it evangelism, right? But what is the primary purpose behind evangelism? Well, somebody says, well, the primary purpose behind evangelism is to fulfill the commission Christ gave us, right? Go into all the world, make, you know, make disciples, uh, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teach them all to observe you. Well, that is a reason, but that's not the, the ultimate reason. Well, okay, well then it's uh, it's the evangelize in order because we, you know, we love people, God loves people, God doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants to see everybody come under repentance. And therefore, you know, that's why we go, that's why we evangelize, that's why we try to help people understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, that's a good reason, but it's not the primary reason. Paul gives us the primary reason in verse 5. He says, "Through him, that is Christ, and for what? His namesake, we received Grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from from faith. In other words, we preach the gospel for the sake of Jesus' name, for the glory of his name, for the majesty of his name, for the splendor of his name. Jesus is worthy to be praised. And that's why Paul writes in the Philippians, he says, listen, Christ did not consider himself to be equal of God, but he he humbled himself, he clothed himself in humanity, and therefore he became obedient to the will of the Father. And so the, the Father exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name, that name at which every knee, every every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is what? Not just the name Jesus. There were many people named Jesus in his day and time. That Jesus Christ is Lord. It's the Lordship of Christ. It's the power of the majesty that God has displayed through his son Jesus Christ. If you want to get a deeper concept of this, you you just go back to Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah went into the temple and he says, "I saw the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe is filling the temple." I believe that that is a pre-incarnate picture of Jesus. When you see the throne it's Jesus on the throne and the seraphim are flying around, they're crying out, "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty." And they're they are they are Crying out and saying, listen, this person who's sitting on the throne is utterly unique. The theologians call it the transcendence of God, the transcendence of Christ. As Isaiah says, you can't compare him to anything because no matter what you try to compare God to, it always falls short. Jesus is high. He's exalted. He's lifted up. We have a tendency to think through the mind of a human rather than to think through the mind of God. Listen, when people think about Jesus, what do they think about? Oh, that lowly person born in a manger, you know, struggled through his life, gave some good teachings, good moral person, died on a cross. They say he was resurrected. I'm not sure about that. But, you know, whatever. And so that's what they have reduced Christ to. But for we as the followers of Jesus Christ understand that he is not that lowly little shepherd, uh, that sh- you know, the, the lamb of God coming into the world. He is now the exalted lion of the tribe of Judah. If you want to see an exalted picture of Jesus in the here and now, read the book of Revelation chapter 1. He is Lord of all. He is Lord over all. He has created all things, everything Paul says has been created by him and for him. And it's us, we as his followers who submit to and fall under the lordship of Jesus Christ. This is the power of the gospel. And you know what he says this gospel does? It produces obedience. That's what he said in verse 5. He says it, it brings us to the obedience that comes from faith. Notice it's not to bring about obedience to the law. It's saying when we really understand the gospel and the gospel so impacts us, we're no longer operating under the paradigm that Christianity or my relationship with God is just all about keeping a list of do's and don'ts. That when you walk in the power of the gospel, it not only helps you live a life that is pleasing to God, but God creates in us a faith that we, we develop this desire, this longing, this hunger to be obedient to the things of God, not because somebody's forcing me, not because I believe God is going to, you know uh, uh, do something bad towards me if I don't. no, it's, it's just a the power of the gospel is so permanent and so permeating and so deep and so vast is that as i as i as i am as looking at jesus and his exaltation and i'm thinking you know what i am like paul i i want to spend my life bowing myself willfully as a servant to an obedience to the will and the plan of God, not because somebody's forcing me to, not because somebody gave me a list of do's and don'ts. It's because God himself changed the true north in my heart and gave me a new heart and gave me a heart that is moldable and pliable. And so that day after day, as I walk with Jesus, hopefully by the end of my life, I've become more and more like him. I don't know about you, but when I, uh, you know, before I was saved, um, I was a rule breaker. In fact, if you gave me new rules, I just considered them options I'd never considered before that I'm going to break. And so when I got saved and God began changing my life, and, I, and when I was in high school, you know, I was known as a partier. I was known as the kid who does drugs and the kid who drinks all the time. And, and so when I went to my high school reunion, my 20th year. And people, you know what? People always ask you, right? What are you doing? What What do you do for a living now? I'm a pastor. Really? Like it, it would just stop conversations. Like they didn't know what to do with that. Like I, I can't believe that you're a pastor. Well, brother, nobody's more surprised than I am. So I, I'm where I'm with you. You see, when I met Jesus and I got saved, I just I just discovered I couldn't do the things that I once did. Not because somebody sat me down and gave me a list that said, well, you're allowed to do this, this, and this. You can't do this, this, and this. God just began to change my heart. And so in my faith in the gospel, God began to bring my heart in alignment with obedience to Christ. And listen, because here's what I come to understand, is that God has my best interest at heart. He loves us so much. He wants what is absolutely best for us. He always wants to put our feet on the best path that leads to the best destinations. And if I'm willing to do that and, and... not because somebody's pushing me, not because somebody's making me, but because I just have this love for Jesus. I was the only Christian in my family, not just my immediate family, but for much of my extended family. I was like the lone wolf. One of the reasons I know God so changed my heart is Nobody ever had to call me up to go to church. Nobody had to push me into going to a small group. Nobody had to beg me to do this, that, or the other. God just began changing my heart. And when a person comes to Christ, it changes them. And I know for some of you here today that you, you came to Christ under a system, that absolutely cut the heart out of the gospel because it was a legalistic system and it was all about the do's and the don'ts and it was grace plus works that were equal in your salvation. I know that some people don't come to Christ because that's all they think about when they think about church or Christianity or Christ. It's just about a list of do's and don'ts and what I can do and what I cannot do. And that is a huge stumbling block to them because they're like, like, like they were like me. They're still rebellious in their heart. I still wanted to call the shots. I wanted to be the boss. I wanted to be the CEO. I didn't want to give that up. But here's what I know is that the power of the gospel is so powerful in that God can take a heart that is just riveted in rebellion and make it into something brand new. And the gospel is for everyone. I love this. It doesn't matter where you've been, who you are. He says it's for every tribe, it's every nation, every kindred, every tongue. And Paul echoes this in verses 14 and 15. He goes, I am obligated both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. This is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in in Rome. Now, Paul was about to head to the capital city. And this is a place um, in Rome where where there's philosophers and there's all kinds of stuff that's going on there and he says every human being needs to hear this message now look what he said I am obligated to do this I'm eager and I'm obligated what does it mean to be obligated well this word in the Greek has the idea of a debtor in essence what Paul was saying is I owe them I owe them the gospel. Now, there's two ways you can get in, 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 uh, in debt or in borrowing something. Let's say, for example, <clears throat> if you borrow money off of somebody, now you've set up a debt-to-debt relationship, right? You owe them money. You, you have to pay it back at some point, and so you, know, you, you need to do that. Obviously, if you don't do that, you're going to lose credibility with them, and it's going to create friction in the relationship. So that's one way that you can be a debtor to somebody or obligated to somebody, you you need to pay them back. The second way, and the way that Paul is describing here is, what if somebody came to me and said, hey, uh, pastor, we're moving to California, I just bought a brand new Ferrari, and uh, you mind if I put it in your garage? Now, I, I want you to know up front, it's not for you, it's for Caleb. I mean, for Caleb, why would it be for Caleb? And so I say, sure, put it in my garage. And he puts the Ferrari in my garage. And I'm thinking, I like that. I like the looks of that Ferrari. I think I like to keep that. Now, what's the purpose for which he gave me that car? The purpose was to hand it off to Caleb. I was just like the go-between, right? I, I am blessed by this Ferrari, but it's not mine to keep. It's not mine to harbor for myself. I am now to give it over to the person that it was really intended for, and this is the concept that Paul is giving to us in, these, in this verse when he says, I am, I am obligated. God gave us something that is far more valuable than any human treasure, and he says, listen, I gave you the gospel not with the intent that you receive the gospel and only harbor the gospel for yourself. I gave it to you with the intent that you would pass it on to others who need it. You get that concept? I'm indebted to them. I need to do this. The gospel is intended for everyone, every person you work with, your neighbors, people you think that, well, they wouldn't have any interest, they don't really care, uh, they're not going to respond. How do you know? You don't. And so God has challenged us with this unique privilege because he says the gospel is what? He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. The power of God. Think about how powerful God is. God speaks and things come into existence. God speaks and he creates universes, something out of nothing. There is no limit to the power of God and there is no limit to the power of the gospel. It is the greatest source of power known to humanity. It is for salvation, it is for healing, it is for deliverance, it is for wholeness. And when you give someone the gospel, you are giving them the one thing in life that can make them absolutely whole. I can give people a lot of things. I can give them... Vitamins and exercise programs and diets and new fads and some pills, some program, and it will do some things for them, but it will never do for humanity what the gospel can do. Because only the gospel can take a dead man and bring him to life. I can give him a book on anatomy and say, read this, maybe you'll get better. Maybe you'll find life in the deadness of your spirit, or I can give them the gospel. There's no power in that book of anatomy, but there is power in the gospel because it is the breathed word of God, and when God breathes his word, things get created. That's powerful. And lastly, the gospel produces righteousness it produces righteousness in verse 17 what is righteousness well without righteousness we are facing a sin debt the bible is clear that there's no one righteous no not one romans 3:10 and that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god romans 3:23 and that the wages of this sin is death romans 6:23 That sin entered into the realm of this world through one person. His name was Adam, Romans 5. And so what Paul is going to start unpacking is whether you are rebellious or you are respectable or you are religious, there is no clothing yourselves with God's righteousness apart from Christ, apart from the gospel. Do you know that there is a dress code for heaven? If you're not clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, you're not gaining entrance. And there's only one way you can be clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and is by putting your faith and your trust and your hope in him and him alone. Here's how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him, that is Christ, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What does it mean that Christ was to be sin for us? Does that mean that Jesus on the cross became a sinner? Absolutely not. What it means is that God took our sin debt and he placed it upon Jesus and treated Jesus as he would have to have treated us had Jesus not taken on our sin debt. And then when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his payment for my sin, because when Jesus shed his blood, the Bible says that God had a certificate of my sin debt attached to the cross. And as his blood flowed over that certificate of debt, not only did God provide for my forgiveness, he provided for my cleansing and he marked that certificate of debt paid in full. And then in a great exchange, God took the righteousness of Jesus and he credited it to my account, which means that on the cross, Jesus was treated like God would have to treat me in my sin, and now I am treated like God would treat Jesus in his righteousness so that every time God looks at me, he no longer sees my sin dead. He sees nothing but the righteousness of Christ. You have been gripped by the grace of God. Live it out as followers of Jesus Christ. We have the greatest news this world has ever heard. Let's not be silent with it. Let's bow our heads. Maybe you're here this morning and you have, you have a check in your spirit right now. You're like, oh, I don't know that I can grasp this. Is, is it possible that God really, like, really has forgiven me of everything? And, and, and if he has, and, and he only sees Jesus and his righteousness accredited in my account, does that mean I just, like, I just get to do whatever I want now and just sin all I can? No, Paul's going to address that in Romans 6. But it does mean that God's forgiven you past, present and future sin because when Jesus died on the cross, everything was in the future. All of your sin. So when you leave here, and yet your your enemy comes against you and starts hounding you over past sins, past mistakes that you have long confessed before God and acknowledged it and repented of it and and asked God for, for his forgiveness and his cleansing, Listen, do not let him beat you up. You are a unique human being. You are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You are a new creation in Christ. The Bible says that the old is gone and the new has come. And God has called you out of darkness into light. And he's put you in this special position for a specific purpose to take the greatest message the world has ever heard. The gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone around us. God has given us this unique privilege of sharing God's power and God's righteousness with those who are outside God's kingdom. Maybe you've never truly put your faith and your trust in Jesus. Maybe you you put it in a, a, a scale, like I'm, I'm gonna, you know. I've got some bad stuff, and I'll do good stuff that will cancel my bad stuff. Do you know that no good stuff can cancel your bad stuff? You have no power to cancel your bad stuff. There's no cosmic scale in the sky that once we get there, you know, hoping my bad works outweigh my bad. No, as Martin Luther came to discover, it is justification by faith alone in Christ alone. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. You have nothing to bring to the table, but your broken and shattered life. And God says, when you bring that and you embrace my, my method of salvation, my son, Jesus Christ, to be Savior and Lord of your life, he says, I will grip you in my grace and whatever has been put in my hands, no one can take it away. And you are signed and sealed for all of eternity. If you've never made that decision, truly in your heart, if you've been struggling with this, wondering, am I saved? Am I not saved? You need to nail that down. Don't wait until you draw your last breath and say, well, I hope I make it. The Bible says that God has given us Christ so that we might know that we have eternal life. Not that we might hope so, but that we might know that we have eternal life. I just plead with you the close of this service, to come forward. I'd love to pray with you, talk with you. I'm challenging as a church. We have the greatest news ever. We cannot afford to be silent. I'm just asking you to come like Paul came to Jesus on that road to Damascus and just bow your knee before him and say, Father, you have set me aside for divine purpose and I'm yielding my heart and my life over to you afresh and anew. I'm surrendering my everything to you. I'm setting everything else aside. I'm, I'm submitting myself to your will, your plan, and your purpose for my life. And just have a fresh start, a fresh beginning before we leave this place. Let's pray for our church. As I said, we are, we are at a crossroads here. I'll share more about that in the coming weeks, but we're at a crossroads. And what happens from here on out depends on the body of Christ. It's not one person's thing. It's all of us. We are the body of Christ. God has uniquely gifted us and called us and commissioned us. But the real reason behind why we want to share Jesus is because Jesus is Lord. He's majestic. He's The splendor, the majesty of Christ. Let's exalt him to everyone around us. Father, we thank you for this time together as a church family. We love you. May the Holy Spirit speak deep into our hearts today. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing. Come, pray. Yield yourself to the Father. Let's allow God just to do a work in us before we leave today.